I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So we've just taken off. We're up in the air in a tiny, tiny eight-seater plane. And we're leaving Georgetown and heading for the rainforests of Guyana. In June of 2021, Vice News correspondent Isabel Jung flew over a large rainforest in Guyana, a small country in South America. It's like an ocean of green. It's pretty spectacular. This is one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. As far as you can see, there's just trees. As we're getting closer to our landing spot, though, the greenery is starting to get broken up by mines and it seems that those are roads which are leading to mines leading to development projects and so these are kind of the first signs that there is activity down there there's human activity Guyana is rich in natural resources gold timber and oil And these resources, they've attracted a lot of foreign investment from China and the U.S. Both countries are pumping a lot of money into Guyana, competing to build roads and bridges and a hydroelectric power plant. These infrastructure deals are a symbol of the fight for soft power in the region. And China's footprint and influence has been growing. And so when Isabel went to Guyana, she wanted to figure out how are these deals happening and who exactly is benefiting from them. Guyana is now an oil-producing nation, and with its economy boosted, Guyana is finally realizing its vast and true potential. Our country is bursting with opportunities for all. Our dreams are being realized. Guyana is taking off. The country is poised to become a major energy supplier, but not everyone is optimistic. So what can Guyana do to avoid becoming another poor, yet resource-rich nation? It belongs to us. We the people, the first people of this country, it belongs to us. Not from a company from China, not from America. I'm Ariel Zumros. And I'm Isabel Young, and a correspondent for Vice News. And this is Vice News Reports. Hey, Isabel. So glad to have you here. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. So where does this interest in Guyana come from? Is this a new thing? So Guyana's always been of strategic and political interest to the US as well as to other parts of the world. It's a tiny, tiny country in South America on the coast of the Caribbean. So there's 
Also, an obvious military advantage there. It is the only English-speaking country on the continent, and it has one of the highest biodiversity levels in the whole world. Oil companies have identified massive offshore reserves in Guyana. New estimates from last week report that more than four billion barrels of oil could be extracted from a region. So since then, there's been this huge infrastructure development in Guyana and a massive amount of foreign money coming into the country. So even though it's one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere and a huge risk for climate disasters, it actually is also one of the fastest developing countries in the world right now. And we've seen particularly significant investment and interest coming from China. Got it. And so as you've mentioned, a lot of this interest is coming from China. Can you explain that? Yeah, you may have heard of China's Belt and Road Initiative. The BRI is the brainchild of the Chinese president. He saw it as his road to riches and legacy. China and Latin America may be on opposite sides of the globe, but they're getting closer through commercial trade and investments. Chinese investment has been increasing in Latin America and the Caribbean for the last couple of decades. So just last year, China's investment and construction projects in the region were almost 16 billion US dollars. China's Belt and Road Initiative is the most expensive infrastructure project in history. By 2025, Chinese companies are expected to have invested $250 billion in Latin America. Yeah, so one of the projects that we actually saw from the plane is the Amila Falls hydroelectric power plant. So this project, if it were to go ahead, would include the construction of a huge, huge dam and reservoir, which would then produce hydroelectric power for Guyana. The scale of this project is absolutely massive, and it means just a huge amount of construction and development in the rainforest around Guyana's capital. The China Railway Group, the Chinese company, will fully finance and build the project out. The hydro project will be ideal to cater to a fast change in Guyana. So there are promises that these projects are going to boost the Guyanese economy. But, I mean, of course, not everyone's going to be happy about that. The indigenous people in the forest around the Amila Falls, they're really worried that, you know, the construction will also bring flooding. It's going to lead to excessive deforestation, that environmental pollution is going to be very prominent and that ultimately it's going to displace their own people. And who exactly is behind this project? So the company that was developing this project is China Railway. Um, They obviously don't agree with these claims, but I mean, having done a lot of reporting on these type of Chinese state-run corporations, you know, their infrastructure deals have been very heavily criticized as being extremely opaque. And I mean, it's that secrecy that we really wanted to crack, right? We really wanted to see how these deals are actually made and who it is that's actually taking the money. So how did you go about that? Yeah, so we decided that really the only way to get to the heart of this story and to figure out what was really going on is to go undercover. So I'm going to be filming undercover with my Chinese friend who does not want to go on camera for obvious reasons. We had all these leads and we had kind of threads of a story that we knew could really only be proven if we were to go in with hidden cameras and different identities. He's going to be posing as a successful Chinese business person. I'm going to be posing as his secretary. And we're going to be trying to uncover how the Chinese are doing business with Guyana's government. The first time we went was June 2021. We arrived and, I mean, my colleague had actually been there before to sort of 
start infiltrating these circles. And so by the time we got there, we were able to dive right in and start schmoozing, essentially. So there was a lot of lunches, a lot of drinks. Hello. <laughs> and at some point we were invited to a really beautiful country house, which is on a river where they were doing a lot of barbecuing. And that's where we first started talking to a timber exporter, a Chinese guy who had been there for a while, and he offered us some advice on how to work the system. And he told us pretty straight up that the best way to get things done here is to get a middleman, um, and that middleman will take you to the people in power. Um, this is what in Chinese is called a white gloves. Um, so the white glove is someone who essentially protects the politician or the person in power, makes sure that his hands don't get dirty. And that was when people started to tell us about one man um, that's known to be a middleman in Guyana, a Mr. Su Jurong. Okay. Wow. Can you tell me who is Mr. Su? Yeah, so Mr. Su is a longtime Guyana resident. He's been there over a decade. He's one of the country's biggest landholders in timber and mining, and he also has stakes in the fuel industry now as well. And so a couple days into our trip, we agreed to meet with him at one of his warehouses that he owned. Come here and give me that. So this warehouse we arrived at, it's on the edge of town. And it's also very secluded from the rest of the city. No one is going to interrupt our conversation there. And it was a very strange meeting because he had COVID at the time. So we all kind of wanted to meet somewhere breezy. We're all wearing masks. But it did make everything a little bit tricky because, you know, we're sat so far away from him. I was very worried that our hidden cameras were not going to pick up his voice. But we were able to sit in front of the man that we were told would take us to the people in power. Okay, so by now you're in this warehouse with Mr. Sue. What does he start telling you? So in the warehouse, Sue told us, if you want to get anything done in Guyana, you need hookups. You tell me it should be no problem. I have good relationships with these people. He also showed us paperwork, which documented his involvement in some of the multi-million dollar deals between Guyana's government and large Chinese state-run corporations. And that actually included letters sent from the government about that same hydropower plant project that we'd flown over in the rainforest. He bragged a lot, very, very openly, about who he knew, who he was close to in the government, and how he was the right person to get us in front of those people. So when he says that he knows people... Who is he talking about? So the main person that he says that he's close to is Vice President Barad Jagdeo. Let me join with you to welcome our Honorable Vice President and General Secretary of the People's Progressive Party, Comrade Barad Jagdeo. And when you say Vice President, you mean like the Vice President of Guyana. Exactly, yeah. And the Vice President himself is you know, arguably the most powerful politician in the country. He was president for 12 years, and then his term essentially ran out, and then he became vice president. A lot of people that we spoke to said that he still wields as much power, if not more power, than the president himself. 
Outside of Guyana, he's actually been heralded as a, a climate hero who's promised to keep his country green, even as it drills for oil. <laughs> uh, okay, I mean, there is no way to make drilling for oil green or clean, but all right, I mean, at least he's talking about climate change, right? Yeah, this is a man with a huge amount of influence, and Sue repeatedly refers to him as his boss. So my colleague, Mr. Chan, asked, how much do I have to pay you? And Mr. Su replied, we'll split the amount with the boss. We asked, your boss is the vice president, right? And he said, right, yes, the boss is a part of it. We're doing business together. My boss is not going to receive the money directly. And remember, the boss is the vice president. It's going to be a, quote, service or processing fee. Then he'll share some of it with me. So essentially, Sue is telling you, yes, this money, like, it'll go to the vice president. And so that fee is a bribe. Yeah, exactly. And so the way that these bribes work is, I mean, any big public project has to go through a bidding process, which should, you know, theoretically be very open. But, you know, the bribe should essentially assure the company that they will be granted the contract. So this money, they can also help Chinese companies cut through bureaucracy. So licensing and all the things that you need to actually get going on a project Basically, this money makes the whole process a lot easier. And of course, it also makes middlemen like Sue and then ultimately the vice president richer. Got it. Okay, so you meet this middleman, Mr. Sue, who tells you he has direct access to the vice president of Guyana and essentially that any fee that you pay him for the deal will be split with the vice president. So where'd you go from there? Yeah, so essentially we still keep our reporting. We still are doing a lot of schmoozing. We're still making connections in the business world with other people who work in Chinese state-run construction companies and other private companies and kind of confirming what we already suspect to be true, which is that, you know, these middlemen are used as a way to pay bribes to reach government officials. At the same time, we are talking a lot with Sue. He is offering us a wide range of investment opportunities. He suggests that, you know, we could invest in logging rights in the country. There's a stone quarry that he builds up. There's gold mining that he has access to. And then eventually he offers land in a prime location where he says that a hotel and a casino could be built, which would help us cash in on the oil boom. Wow. Of course, we say yes to the deal. Um, you know, we want to know what the next steps are. We want to know how the intricacies of bribery and these deals operate. So towards the end of our trip, we talk with him on the phone and we are in a hotel room and we get to the point where a contract is about to be written and signing a potential deal with us, which is when we got to the topic of money. Um, again, this is all being recorded secretly. Sue does not know that we're recording this. Sue says mm -hmm. the money we pay him under the guise of legitimate business will actually make it to the vice president. 
And we ask, how do you transfer such huge amounts of money actually to the vice president? You know, surely this is highly illegal. And Sue says, once the money is in Guyana, I'll give him cash. The vice president finds this the easiest and most convenient. With these procedures, no one can pick up on us. Oh, wow. Okay, so they transfer the money from China to Guyana, and then Sue says that he gives the VP, like, an envelope of cash? Yeah, and so obviously, you know, we had a lot more questions to ask about the money flow and, you know, how this actually all worked. So what we needed to do was to show them that we were serious about the deal. So the cash that you're being asked to give him is for the land and for this suspicious processing fee, which is basically a bribe, right? Which I'm assuming that in a world where you would be giving him this kind of money, that you would then need to go and get a lot of cash. So how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we weren't actually going to pay a lot of cash because that would (laughs) jeopardize some pretty crucial journalist ethics. But You know, even the idea of it, before we could pay Sue and the vice president, we'd need to figure out how people actually get these massive amounts of money into the country in the first place. So what we told Sue was that, like other companies he does business with, most of our capital was tied up in China. And China has very strict controls, actually, over sending money abroad. So we'd need some kind of workaround for this. So we met with a couple of these guys in a hotel room. Everything takes place in sketchy hotel rooms. Because at this point, you are still undercover. Still very much undercover, yes. So we met with a money launderer, someone who tells us that he's a money launderer. How this works is money is essentially placed in a bank account in China, and then that equivalent amount, minus a hefty fee that goes to these money launderers, is then taken out in Guyana, which gets them around all these taxes and border restrictions. It's also really, really difficult to trace. You know, everything happens online. And he showed us receipts of, you know, the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions even, um, of wow. dollars that had been transferred in this way. Wow. He says they can give us cash tomorrow. And he says they can give us up to three hundred to $400,000 a day. They've done this for both private clients as well as Chinese state-controlled companies. Especially with the interest in oil, they're getting a huge amount of interest. And because they said the country is so corrupt, no one ever pulls them up on it. 
And if it's dirty money, as you say, Haitian, what's the solution for that? The money launderers actually told us that they'll charge a 20% fee for what they call dirty money, which could include money that's linked to Chinese government officials. And the reason for that high fee is obviously because they risk being arrested, you know, they risk um, being reprimanded for that. So the question and the concern that we, of course, have is that, you know, it seems like everyone in the middle is making money, right? Like these middlemen or the white gloves like Sue, the money launderers themselves and allegedly the vice president, they're all cashing out. So, I mean, we needed to get answers from the person, the only person who can really tell us what's going on here, which is the vice president. That's after the break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Okay, so you have this middleman, Mr. Sue. You now also know what the process is to get cash. Um, What's the next step? So one week into our trip there, Sue takes our colleague, Mr. Chan, to go and meet the vice president at his home. Thank you. Thank you so much for seeing me. Because uh, the vice president is his landlord, it's literally like a one-minute walk from from Mr. Sue's house. Um, so I was basically sitting in my hotel room very, very nervously waiting for news that, no, they had been able to get into the house and out again without getting caught, essentially. So they go in there, everything's being recorded secretly. Jagdo essentially avoided talking specifics about any business deal. Do you understand our deal in detail? I'm, I'm not getting involved in business. But you will get the support. Sue's my friend, he gets all the support. We have to be clear about all the agreements. Sue deals with all the agreements. I don't, I don't. I understand, I understand. The thing is that my um, thing is that I am in government. 
So at one point, Mr. Chan, you know, said that it would be good to talk in more details about the deal. That's when Sue interjected, saying, you know, you don't need to worry, you don't need to bring up the deal here, you don't need to talk about the bribery here. That's kind of, you know, we'll, we'll discuss that and we'll handle that. Thank you so much for giving me time. I hope I can see you again. Thank you. And then when they leave the house, there's this exchange where Sue tells Mr. Chan uh, that the vice president's hands are very clean. Other amounts of money that we've handled, he says, have been much bigger, like from the oil company. The hydroelectric power plant needs tens of millions of dollars. He'll never admit that he's involved in this. After that, we actually left the country pretty quickly. So you leave the country after your team has met with the vice president and seen firsthand how he works with Sue. What happens next? Yeah, what we wanted to really do was to confront the vice president, Jagdeo, about you know whether this massive influx of foreign investment is plagued by corruption, whether it does come with political strings attached, and most importantly, whether he himself has a part to play in it. Hi again. So you're hearing upstairs, or we may have to so keep the door closed here. Yeah, okay. You're... You guys record, you keep a record of all yeah, of your interviews? Right, yeah. Wow. Such just <laughs> politicians, you have to be safe. Yeah. So we requested an interview with the vice president, and eventually we got to sit down with him. Okay, so your team had already met with Vice President Jagdeo undercover, but then you go back a second time in February, and he hasn't met you yet. So this time you're talking face-to-face, he doesn't know you, and you're presenting your reporting on corruption to him. Could you describe the lead-up to the interview? Yeah, so we met him in his office in the morning. Um, I mean, tensions were pretty high, I think, from the very beginning, because He was reluctant to meet us. I think there was some distrust on both sides. Um, You know, he came in wearing a a crisp suit and a tie and asked his team to set up their cameras um, to record us. Well, we obviously had our cameras set up as well. And yeah, I mean, I was feeling nervous as well, to be honest, because I knew what we were about to accuse him of and what we were putting to him. You know, Guyana has attracted a lot of foreign investment recently. What is it that Guyana has to offer? The opportunity to make money. That is why people are coming here. So that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Some of the biggest infrastructure projects you have are being built by Chinese state-run companies. Given the contentious issues between the US and China, does it ever feel like Guyana is being used as a pawn within, you know, within these two global superpowers? I don't think we're such a big player to have the arrogance to think that we're so important to the two parties to be used as a pawn. I think we're just a small country trying to do the best for our people. And this year, Guyana dropped two points on the Transparency International's Corruption Perception Index, which puts it among the most corrupt in the region. Do you accept that within this government and within this country, there is a problem with corruption? First of all, I have a problem with the indices, but we do have real corruption in countries like ours too. This is like a blackness index. The darker you are, the lower you are on the index. 
the developed countries hardly ever get on this index. And they have more institutional corruption, in my view. So he's basically saying that the transparency index and the corruption index are racist, or they have racist overtones, and that, you know, the blacker your country is, the higher it's ranking on that corruption index. What about within your government? Yeah. Do you accept bribes? No, I don't. You know, we've spoken to a number of Chinese business people in Guyana who said that you do accept bribes, and they have said that, in fact, it's the only way to get business done. Yeah, well, I, I can't comment on that. You can, you can just sit there and fabricate that. Unless you say who the person is, I can't comment on anonymous people. Okay, well, let's talk about specific individuals. What is your relationship with Mr. Su Jurong? Su? Oh, Su? My relationship? Nothing. He is, he's a tenant in my place, yeah. So this was obviously the point in the interview where his demeanor and temperament completely switched, you know. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, I kept just looking, glancing at Belle, my producer, and I think that just the whole vibe in the room immediately changed. I mean, you could literally hear a pin drop in there. Um, it was extremely tense. You know, the vice president became immediately very, very defensive, kept interrupting me. Um, his face kind of became a little bit scrunched up and he said that this is why foreign journalists come here to catch him out, um, was very quickly deflecting any questions. It was extremely uncomfortable. And he's a good friend of yours? Yes, um, yes, yes, he is a friend of ours. He claims that through his very close relationship with you that he's able to get any deal done. Well, I don't, I don't... Do you use middlemen like Sue in order to take money on, on your behalf so that you can keep your hands clean? No, Dan says no. We met with a manager from a Chinese state-run corporation who confirmed that they use individuals like Sue in order to get these deals done and that they pay them a consulting fee, which essentially serves as a bribe to individuals like you. I mean, what well, would you say to I that? don't know because, again, that's all. You're building everything on what you have met and what people told you. I don't know. I can't comment on some anonymous manager now telling you something. I mean, these are, these are why, individuals who have significant business interests in this you, country. So why I'm do you think, yes, there, but why do so you think? many people are telling us one thing about, you know, yeah, this is but, the way that deals get done. But it I'm is, wondering what your take is. But don't you know, when the reporters come from abroad, this is their catch-you kind of thing. You always want to make a developing country leader look corrupt. So you've done your, your bit. Will you investigate at least, you know, these No, 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 definitely. Of... I'm going to ask about all of this, but I can't, I can't comment reasonably. I, how can I comment on these, these issues? So what happens in the aftermath of this interview? Yeah, a lot happened. A few days after meeting with us, again, this is early February, the Vice President Jagdeo made the pretty rare decision to release our interview to the press. Now, I took the unusual step of releasing that video, the interview, because I thought that there was a predetermined agenda of the interviewers. He had a press conference. It seemed that this was his way of kind of getting ahead of some of the onslaught of public reactions that he knew would be coming his way. So I thought that if the country saw the entire interview, then they will understand the context of 
the discussions that we've had. There was a lot of mixed reactions. You know, obviously, the government was trying very hard to discredit us. They said that we came with an agenda that, you know, we <laughs> were not legitimate. Um, but also, you know, the opposition party, the People's National Congress Reform, called for his resignation. The opposition believes that VP Jack Liu should do the decent thing and resign to facilitate an unbiased investigation. There were protests outside of uh, Vice President Jagdeo's office. There was calls from pretty wide spectrum of Guyanese society for a thorough investigation to be carried out as a result of our reporting. On the other hand, Guyana's president leapt to the Vice President Jagdeo's defense. The Chinese embassy said that our reporting had no credentials and, you know, tried to also discredit me and, and our reporting in general. People are just doing things as sensational headline. I heard that the reporter had certain special interests. Wow. Okay. Um, and what about Mr. Sue? Yeah, so the vice president claims that he has been defamed by Sue. I'm going to take repetitional action. I'm going to, I'm going to sue him. And I'm looking to him to throw him out, looking for him. Can't find him so far, but as soon as I find him, this will happen. And Sue himself has now gone missing. No one really knows where he is. Hmm. So I think my reaction to all of this is, um, you know, I think for, for a lot of developing countries, like this is a really complicated issue, right? I, I mean, my grandfather was from Guyana. My, my father is from Trinidad and Tobago and, you know, which is right next door to Guyana. And I guess the main question that I still have is, is all of this money flowing into the country, is it actually helping? Is it benefiting Guyanese people? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I guess that's, you know, what we were hoping to answer. It's nuanced, right? I mean, it, it's a difficult... There are some Guyanese who will tell you that, you know, you need development, you need money in order to, to properly develop and become a wealthy nation. You know, there's a lot of others who will tell you that they're not benefiting at all from any of this wealth. And the the oil money that's coming in, the infrastructure money that's coming in is not trickling down to the people who need it most. In fact, it's going into the pockets of the very privileged few. So I guess to really get a sense of what Guyana is about and, and what it means to have this massive spike in foreign investment in the country, we went to the tiny area of Morawa. So we met several people from the community. One woman that sticks out to me was Valencia, who's a very tough woman. How long have indigenous people been living on these lands for? 50 years, counting down. Yes, that is long ago. Because some of our children, grandchildren right in here. She feels very, very strongly that these lands belong to them. We want a land title so that not any company could come in and say, oh, this is our black or this. So if you look at a map of Morawa, you can see kind of the whole area is surrounded by mining concessions, which means that at some point there will be mining taking place there. What, what is the impact when miners come here? What well, as they would happen? poison the water and they would pollute the water and the water would turn from clear to white. So Valencia and her community obviously saw this as a direct threat to their way of life, you know, something that could have 
huge impacts on their community. Plus, I mean, according to Valencia, they really haven't seen any benefit from these projects yet. It was very clear that at least so far, they see this big money being spent on these big deals, but it wasn't trickling down to the local community. So what Valencia was saying is that they want some kind of input, they want some kind of say over the changes that are happening to their own land. So we ain't giving up no mountain, we ain't giving up no tree. Not one blade of grass, not one grain of rice. Everything belongs to us. Well, the first people of this country, it belongs to us. Not from a company from China, not from America. I mean, one thing that we mentioned at the top of this episode is that the U.S. invests in Guyana heavily as well, right? So what did you find out about that during your reporting? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we focus our reporting on Chinese investment, but the U.S. is the largest investor in Guyana. And I mean, we didn't actually look into how those deals themselves are brokered. And what was really interesting for me, actually, was that, you know, since um, the release of our report, the U.S. has seemingly been stepping up their ties with Guyana. There are obviously geopolitical factors that I'm sure have contributed to that, like the war in Ukraine, which has obviously been driving gas prices up. But it does seem like, you know, for whatever reasons, China does seem to be retreating a little bit and the U.S. seems to be advancing ties with Guyana. Okay, and so what about the hydropower plant that we started with? Where does that currently stand? So now... Interestingly, the Amina Falls hydropower plant deal with China Rail, the Chinese state-run construction company, is completely dead. The Chinese state-run construction company has pulled out. It's also interesting that there was a hurried visit arranged between Secretary of State Anthony Blinken and the Guyanese president. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Mr. President, it's a pleasure to uh, have you here at the State Department. Thank you very much, uh, Secretary. The U.S. and Guyana discussed a $2 billion line of credit, which could be used for big infrastructure projects within Guyana itself. This is clearly a battlefield. You know, there is a tug of war going on between these two global superpowers. And has anything else happened since your piece aired? So the most recent thing that's happened is that the president and the vice president have changed their positions and they are now supporting an inquiry and investigation into the money laundering allegations that we put forward. But other than that, I mean, not much. Ultimately, the people of Guyana are still left with many, many questions about who it is that gets to buy their country and for what price. Isabel, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. It was so great to chat. In the course of our reporting, we reached out to China Railway to ask about their involvement in the hydroelectric power plant, but they never responded to our questions or our request for comment. However, the company did make a statement in July to Stawbroke News about our reporting. It denied having a relationship with Su Jirong, and it denied conducting, quote, any action shown in Vice News' footage. About a week later, Vice President Jack Deo said that negotiations with China Railway ended because the company was not prepared to meet the originally agreed-upon terms. In 2019, China Railway was debarred by the World Bank for, quote, misconduct. Su Jirong also has not responded to any of our requests for comment. Special thanks to Bell Cushing, Daniel Vergara, Jika Gonzalez, Craig Thompson, and Karishma Vyas. This episode was produced by Steph Brown. 
Editing by Ashley Cleek and Stephanie Kariuki. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Kazis, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Jesse Alejandro Cuttrell, Julia Nutter, and Sam Greenspan. Our supervising producer is Ashley Cleek. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Evan Sutton, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Mixing by Evan Sutton. Our executive producers are Adiza Egan and Stephanie Kariuki. Annie Aviles is our executive editor, and Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Translations by Summer Long. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. I'm Ariel Zermross. I know podcast hosts say this all the time, but I really mean it. If you could take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be really great. It really does help other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week.